Father, we come to reiterate the fact that we need you, and especially during this time. So God, what we are not, make us. What we have not, give us. And what we know, uh, show us. Uh, Give me strength as your preacher and help us to see and savor and trust Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, appreciate it. Sorry, turn the mic on. All right, so if you'll make your way to Psalm 84. Um, Don't have much by way of an introduction other than the fact that the sermon is titled, Those Who Trust in the Lord, and how cliche the phrase, trust God, can be. Hey, just trust God. Whether it's just like a family member sick or you're just in a rough time of life, trust God. Just trust God. And like, So today we're going to unpack some of that, but um, just wanted to make that statement of like how trust God can be a cliche thing that's thrown away or just thrown around, and there's a lot to just trust God. There's a lot of good, and there's a lot of bad, right? So if you are in Psalm 84, um, let's read that. Sorry. To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the ways, are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Praise be to God for his word. Amen. So, um, it isn't really certain, like, so-and-so wrote this psalm. But it's likely that the author of Psalm 42 is author is also the author of Psalm 84, which would be none other than David himself. Um, as far as the word giddeth, that is, uh, it's a musical instrument, but it's, um, it's rendered, the word is rendered on the wine fats. And it's, there's, it's titled after three psalms, which is Psalm 8, 81, and 84. And all of them happen to be very joyful and like glorious psalms kind of displaying the, the majesty of God, which is sweet, right? So it's, it would be it would be cool that the instrument's named after the wine fats in terms of like the sweetness to uh, the majesty of the Lord. And so as far as the sons of Korah, we know um, from Numbers 16, 1, pretty much the whole chapter, is that Moses' cousins, Moses's cousin Korah uh, kind of led a revolt against Moses, and God smite, all right, he just destroyed him and all of the 249 co-conspirators. He just sent some fire, they all died, right? So 
that the sons of Korah, who didn't contribute to that rebellion, they kind of made their way into the Levitical like service, like basically being servants in the in the temple, whether they were singers or janitors or whatever they did. So it was it's kind of right that David talking about the place where God dwells, the temple, would kind of name this after the sons of Korah, right? So that's where we are as far as far as the title. And so we're gonna observe the text in three portions, and after each portion, we're just going to consider what, what's there, and it'll just go back and forth. One, um, one observation, one consideration. Right? I just want to be clear so it's not um, everywhere for you if you're taking notes. So um, looking at the first portion of this psalm, we're going to observe verses one through four under the banner of, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. This word lovely is really talking about, um, it's it's describing the place that they would go. It's describing the temple. It's lovely. When I go inside, the smells, the the colors, the representations, it's all lovely, right? That's that's kind of what, what he's talking about here. But not only that, it's the place where God is dwelling, right? So that is also what would make it, Lovely. Going on to verse 2. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. So David is almost consumed like a lion after its prey. Like, I need to be in the courts of the Lord. Like, I want to sing your praise. I want to commune with you, God. This is like this, this longing that David is showing. And honestly, this is one of those things. This is a verse here that kind of points to the fact that um, this longing, you don't long for something that you have, right? So if we go up to the, Col- the Culver's and order a double cheeseburger and we're four bites in, I'm no longer longing for the cheeseburger. I'm enjoying it, right? And then I want the ice cream Reese's swirl after that and I'm finishing the cup. I'm no longer longing for it. I'm glad I had it. I enjoyed it, right? So the author here is longing for the courts of the Lord. So in some ways, David must be deprived of this kind of, this kind of worship, of going to the temple, right? So maybe it's during the time of Saul or from Absalom's uh, rebellion. Who knows? But it's obviously that David is longing after something that he hasn't had, right? Or he isn't having currently. So um, keep that in mind as we move forward. Looking at verse 3. So, so it's obviously David is worshiping God here. Because not like the things we talked about today. Like he's eternal, he's infinite, he's unchangeable, he's merciful, he's kind, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. So yes, I want to commune with God, right? So this is what David is saying. Verse 3, even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. A sparrow is often used as a sign of like worthlessness. Jesus even mentioned in, let's see here, Matthew 10, that isn't the sparrow sold for two cents for the poor. It was, it was like the poor would buy this because it was the cheapest and they would offer it to God, right? So it's kind of like the, the worthless as far as money scales of which animal sacrifice I'm going to buy. But they're also, you, and he says, um, not even a sparrow falls without my knowing, insinuating that like the smallest of creatures, the worthless of creatures don't hit the ground without my knowing. So this sparrow is a sign of worthlessness, and the swallow is a bird who migrates often, like they're known for their just migration. So they're very restless. They're just on the go all the time. 
David is saying why the altars of the Lord is so good is because the worthless find a home and the restless find rest. And David is longing for this. If David really is running from Saul or if he's like aggravated with Absalom's rebellion, then the altars of the Lord would be a wonderful place to be at. He could find rest. He could find a home and not, you know, running away in a cave. And then verse four, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. The sons of Korah here is like obviously in my mind as I see it's titled after them, as I know, as we know now that they they work there. So they're always seeing worshipers come in, praise God, give sacrifice and, and do all this number. And so it's kind of like a habit for them. Like they're just in this continual habit of singing the praises of God, of seeing the mercy and the goodness of God in, in the temple. And David is kind of like, gosh, how blessed are they that get to do that, right? That's, that's what he's talking about here, specifically in, in thinking about the temple. So now that we've looked at each of those verses and see like that David is longing after this, and, and all of the service prior to this, we've seen why God is so worthy to be longed after. Let's consider something. Consideration number one. Number one, why would a sinful human such as David long to commune with a righteous and holy God. This is the place where you walk into the wrong room and you you die. This is the place where, I mean, it's kind of a scary place, right? People just fall to the ground dead because they walked in the wrong room at the wrong time, wearing the wrong thing, right? I say that in a funny way, but seriously, why would David or any of us long to go where God is? And before we think about the place, like the temple or where God dwells in the Old Testament, let's think about the law. So the law was given to Moses, and we know its first use was to show us our sinfulness. It shows us that we have no righteousness at all. It shows us that God is perfect and that we are not perfect. So the law was not given to make us righteous. It has no power to make us righteous. If we could keep the law it is because we are righteous. That's the only way anybody's keeping the law because nobody can keep it at the thought level, at the heart level, as Justin always mentions to us. The heart kills us at the heart level. I mean, the law kills us at the heart level and we can't keep it at the motivation level, the physical level, the the thought level, any of these levels. Like we cannot keep the law one bit and it has no power to make us righteous, but it has all the power to show us our need. That is what the law is given for, right? Galatians 2.16, because by works of the law, no man will be justified. So we can't look to the the law to justify ourselves before God. So David has not perfectly loved God either, much less his neighbor as himself. I mean, think about our weeks, the way that you've lusted after someone who's not your spouse, the way you've scorned or despised or even hated someone for something that has zero to do with the kingdom of God. That you've coveted your neighbor because they have something that you don't or that you do have and want more of. Brothers and sisters, the list goes on. When we try to do the law, we we find that we've done them for such selfish motivations anyway to prove ourselves to God, to have some righteousness, to show God that we are worth something, right? Because we are sinners, the law is only a highway to hell if we try to keep it. 
It gains us absolutely zero righteousness before to us before like our standing with God. So if this is the case, if the law gets us absolutely nothing, no credit at all towards where how we stand guilty before God, then what do we do? Well, notice that when God gave Moses the law in Exodus, he gave right after that the sacrificial system. He never gave the law for us to try to live up to it. He gave the law to show us that we aren't him. We aren't perfect. We aren't righteous in the sacrificial system pointing to Jesus ultimately. But the sacrificial system saying, hey, I'm gonna, here is the way, blood, broken body for, for the remission of sins. So he gave the sacrificial system to point. So when, these, so when, we, when we see this temple worship, we're seeing the mercy of God the sacrificial system, the temple, points to Jesus, right? So um, the plan of God from the beginning is that Jesus would be our righteousness. The plan of God from the beginning was that Jesus would be our righteousness by faith, right? From the beginning, God decided to put, our sin, to put on our sinful human corruption and fulfill the law for us. He decided to die in our place. He decided to die our death. But not only this, he decided to satisfy his own wrath for our iniquity, for our transgressions. And we know these things to be accomplished by Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is what the sacrificial system points to, right? But this... The, the sacrificial system makes a way for people to go to the temple and commune with God, to worship God. So to sum that up, the law brings a curse of death to us forever. Christ by faith brings righteousness and justification that places us in daddy's arms forever. And we're there to commune with him and to enjoy him forever. And so, though we have that in mind here, David also has that in mind. The Old Testament characters are looking to the Messiah. They know that the sacrificial system points to Jesus, ultimately. They know that they're not righteous. So that's how David can look and say, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, where I get to commune with the unchangeable, eternal, infinite God, right? So moving on to the next portion, which is verses 5 through 11, we're going to look we're going to look at this under the banner of blessed are those whose strength is God. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the ways to Zion. So in, in, the, in 11, I mean 5 through 11, we see this like description of the experience of those who are like journeying to Jerusalem. Uh, the, public, the public worship of God was a call for the nation to quiet their own confidence and quiet their own strengths and their own courage and their own um, like visions of protection and to trust God. The men would leave their families behind. The men would leave their livelihood behind and, and journey to Jerusalem. And so they had to trust that God would protect not only their family and their livelihood, but even them on their journey, right? Because some, some, some men had days and days and days of journeying to Jerusalem. So in whose heart are the ways to Zion. These roads to Jerusalem were known as highways. So, and they were very well kept up. Uh, and they were a delight, right? So imagine 
that you are going to not only sacrifice or observe a feast, but like these are kind of like the highways to righteousness, if you will. Like this is the way that I get to to sacrifice, to see my sins forgiven and to commune with God. So this is like in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And so having God as their strength, um, they rejoice in all the ways that lead to him. And the road to Jerusalem was one of those ways, right? Specifically right here. So verse six says, um, as they go through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of spring. So as they're journeying to Jerusalem, the Valley of Baca um, is, is rendered the Valley of Tears, but it's, it's talking about mulberry trees. So it's not necessarily that, um, like that these trees cry or that this place causes them to cry, but it's the fact that the journey can be weary. The journey to Jerusalem can be very, very, very weary. And on that way, when you're like on a long walk, what's the one thing you crave? Or you're on a long run. More than anything, you crave some water, right? Like, goodness, can I get just a drink of water? So he's saying, as they go through the valley of Mach, uh, uh, like as they go through this sorrowful journey to the temple, they get some water because God is their strength. And, and it's literally talking about water. Like these ditches would be dug on the side of the street and even like it says next, the early rain covers it with pools. In other words, God provides for their needs as they're on the way. God is their strength. God is their source of, of endurance and stamina to make it to Jerusalem, if you will. So um, verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Or Sorry, verse 7, um, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. In other words, when they make it to the temple, because God has called them, they will make it. That's the reason they made it. It's because God is their strength. So God sees to it that these men make it to him. In other words, that's what he's saying here. Like Because God is their strength, as they journey to Jerusalem, they will make it because God is their strength and God has called them here. In other words, those whom God has called will make it because he's called them. It's another way of saying it. He said, come, and he's going to make sure you make it to him. So um, consideration number two, just out of what we've looked at so far and then moving on to the rest of the verses is this. God is the source of the gift of faith. God is the source of the gift of faith. So God calls people to come to him, and he makes sure that they will make it. God... In other words, the reason that you came to know Jesus Christ as your righteousness is because God separated you from, from your idea that you are righteous. God separated you from your works. God showed you by way of the law that you are not righteous, and you heard the call of Jesus to come and to trust him. The reason you make it, that you've made it this far, is because God has called you. And when we get to glory together, the reason we're there is because God is our strength. God is the source of our faith. So, um, and we see that we have everything but righteousness. And all we really have is this vain pursuit of being a good person that falls short of the glory of God. And then we see Jesus, the righteous one, standing in our place. And he's shielding us from the wrath of God with his own blood. 
And as the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit separates us from trusting in our works, he brings us to Christ where his merit is counted to us by faith and we're secure forever. All of that is God's doing. Yes, we made the journey, but God was God was the source of that. God is our strength in that. And even now, as we go through this journey, like it's honestly this constant journey of trusting Christ, seeing the law and trusting Christ, seeing we're not enough, trusting Christ. He is still our strength in that. He will keep us forever. So looking at verse 9, we're still considering like blessed are those who are, who's, whose strength is in God, who, whom God is their strength. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So though God was a shield for Israel and God as father uh, was not necessarily the focus here. So um, this is like the nation's prayer for their king or for David, if you will. Like behold our shield because a king would be looked at as the nation's shield. Right. So it's like behold our our king, oh God, look upon the face of our anointed. So protect us in a way. Right. But this is also. um, This is the nation's prayer for David, but it's also the believer's prayer for the son of David. Look upon the face of your anointed, because if you look at my face, I'm sinful. All I have is vain pursuits. All I have is is unrighteousness, is a lawbreaker. If you look at my face, that's what you see. But if you look at his face, you see perfection. You see righteousness in my place. So behold our shield, O God. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And it's simple here, right? Like David is saying, like, I long to be with the courts of the Lord because he's good, because he's merciful, because he's strong, because he's infinite, eternal. And I don't want to be anywhere else. The, 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 the tents of wickedness, though they're, they promise a lot of freedom, it only leads to death. The tents of wickedness, though it looks like a lot of fun, it only leads to bondage. And so David is, is rightly so saying, I would rather, just to like put an emphasis, I would rather sweep the floors on the temple than hang out with the wicked people in the, tent, in the tents of the wicked. Right? It's just, it's just simple like Verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and he bestows honor. To the weary weary pilgrim on the way to Jerusalem and to the heavenly pilgrim who finds both light and shelter in God. The honor and favor, or yeah, the favor and honor could be uh, grace and glory. He bestows grace and glory. He bestows grace as we're on this heavenly pilgrimage, and he's going to glorify us. We will be with him in glory. He bestows both of those things. And then finally, um, the end of verse 11. I'm sorry. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So if you remember Psalm 15, it was a while ago, but I preached Psalm 15, and it was literally uh, about those who dwell with God. And it's a list of things that characterizes the person who dwells with God. And it didn't characterize us. And that was the problem. 
but it did characterize Jesus, who was perfect for us, right? This is that same thing. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The uprightly is those who walk without blemish, perfect, absolutely righteously. Those who walk that way, he won't hold any good thing from you. And again, it's like, uh uh-oh, right? But in Christ, right, as they make this, as they make this journey to Jerusalem, it's, they're not saying, because I'm righteous, I'm running to Jerusalem. It's like, no, I'm not righteous. Let me go to Jerusalem. Let me go to the temple, right? So in that way, it's like um, those who walk uprightly, where they're going to the one, right? Maybe some didn't understand it completely, but they knew that they were not righteous, and God said to do this. So in that way, they're journeying, they're walking uprightly, if you will. They're making their way to the temple. And God is not going to withhold any good thing from them. And the obvious thing for us now is that good thing is, our good thing and God's good thing is not always the same. Rarely is it the same, right? But we can trust that God is always doing what's good for us. God is always giving us what we need when we need it, how we need it, where we need it. And a lot of times it's never enough for us, like mentally and the way we think and the way we freak out and kind of wig out over things. Um, Yet we're still trusting Christ. Um, And then verse 12. So this kind of is just another portion, I guess you could say, that we're like I'm separating it from the rest, where we're going to look at this verse under the banner of blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. And I don't have a lot to say. I kind of, I, I, so to, to like, obviously, it's, it's obvious here, but I broke this up into the blessed statement. So blessed is the one who dwells in your house. Blessed is the one whose strength is in you. And now blessed is the one who trusts in you, right? And this is the key to the whole song. The worship of, of anybody who's going to worship Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is that of faith. Is that of faith. People don't just enter into this secret. People don't just enter in and just know that they, they need a Savior. They're given that gift of knowing their need. Right? So the, the key to the psalm is faith. A man must know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith if he in who he is and what he did. Right? So there is the psalm. David longing for the courts of the Lord because obviously he can't have it. And then he's just proclaiming that like those whom those whom have their strength in God or those whom God is their strength have everything they need on this journey. They will not go without. You will not go without. But not only that, um, consideration number three. So is trusting or having confidence in anything but the righteousness of Christ, which God grants us, will damn us. That was a long one. So trusting or having confidence in anything but the righteousness of Christ, which God grants us, will damn us. So only say this to say that um, we know just by looking at all of Scripture that God says often, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So we had plenty of people that's like, I've got to go sacrifice, got to go do my thing, right? And thinking that that was their worship to God when the sacrifice was pointing to Jesus and their need of God, right? So um, this is one of those things where it's easy for us to trust 
that any work we do gains us at least like a tiny bit of favor from God, right? It has to at least earn something. God has to at least be like glad and like, you know what, you're, you're all right, you know, but that's not the case. Like um, we are not, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. We're not part-time sinners, right? So we're not just the good, we're not just good old boys and girls. And God kind of, you know, we're, we're doing all right. I know I'm not perfect. We're not perfect, but I'm doing all right. I'm a good person. And God kind of makes up the rest in his mercy and his grace. That's not the case. If you are not righteous, you are damned forever. We are damned forever. And if that's the case, then we are damned forever. Nothing we do impresses God. Nothing we do begs God to have mercy on us or to have grace on us or to forgive us. Nothing. No good or bad thing changes anything about our good, I mean, about our guilty standing before God. Nothing changes that. Absolutely nothing. And so God became sin for us. God paid Jesus Christ, came as a babe, born of a virgin. In every way that we are not the good old boy and girl that we think we are, Jesus was perfect for us. And then he atoned for the ways that we're terrible people, that we don't love God, that we don't love neighbor. And then he rose again. And we receive all of that completely by faith, which the source of that is God. We receive the reason that we have redemption is because it was always God's plan. And the reason that you were redeemed is because God wanted you to be. And he gave you this, these, the righteous merits of Christ by faith. And so you, oh guilty sinners, are righteous. You are forgiven. You can go and worship God in communion with God because he's made you righteous. You can stand before God knowing that you are, well, actually, you are in daddy's hands. There's no standing about it. He's got you. You are completely forgiven. Your sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. There is no more wrath that God has for you. This is why David is is longing for the courts of the Lord. This is why we long to be together and why we long to come and praise God even when we don't feel it. Even when our feelings don't believe this and our mind is haywire and our actions this week have been off the deep end. This is why we want to come together because there's mercy, because there's grace, because there's strength and there's a reminder that you don't got you, God's got you in Christ. Final thought. What are you going to do now that there's nothing to do? What are you going to do now that there's nothing to do? So there's nothing left for you to do as far as your righteous standing before God. You are good with him because he did all of that. It didn't start with you. It doesn't end with you. You can't keep it. You can't change it. So what are you going to do? Even after God gives us faith through which we receive justification and sanctification, good works do not even bid God's favor toward us. There's no more favor that we gain from God. We have it all. We have it all in Christ. The good works which were foreordained for you to walk in, you will walk in them. You will walk in them. God has foreordained it. Keep trusting Jesus. Even when the thought of trusting Jesus seems berserk, and it hardly means anything to you. 
Some, sometimes it's like that, but he's still enough, even when you don't get it, when nothing makes sense, when trusting Christ seems absolutely weird. He's still enough, even when you never were, right? So we will do these good works that was, that were, that was foreordained for us to do. And, and here's a, a, a thought I had that, this is still in the final thoughts, another thought I had was that even like as I look at my life, how wrong or right I thought I was theologically, God always had his way with me. And he always has his way with you, no matter where you are at this moment. Like whether it's right or wrong, he's having his way with you. He's having his way with you. And he is carrying us, church, to fulfill his good purposes. You are forgiven. You are his. You will in faith do good works. You will be with God forever in glory because all of these things depend on God and because he's promised it. Praise God for Jesus who was broken for our sins, who shed his blood, who atoned for us, making us righteous. Now we get to commune with God who is infinite and eternal and unchangeable. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have been so, so, so kind to us to include us in your plan of redemption. You've been so kind to separate us, to make us see that we're not good. We're not good people. We do not love you. We do not love neighbor. And then you took us to your son, Jesus, who has accomplished everything that we need to call you Father. We praise you for this, Father. We praise you for loving us. We praise you for bringing our strength and that you're providing everything we need in this fallen world as we journey to glory. As you bring us to yourself through this life, you are our strength especially when we don't feel like you are our strength or that you're not aware of what's going on in our lives. Father, we praise you. We give you you honor. We're thankful that we get to sing praises to you, that we get to know you more and more and more throughout this life. We thank you for these ordinary means in which you've promised to Build our faith and encourage our trust in your son, Jesus. Help us trust that he is enough. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.